Hello and welcome to Mind the Resilience, the podcast that explores the strategies and practices that organizations can use to build resilience in the face of unexpected challenges. I am your host Ramki and today's episode is all about resilience in the workplace. My guest Cedric and I will be discussing the key principles of building resilience in organizations and how leaders can ensure that their teams are well equipped to handle unexpected challenges and crises. We'll also be discussing topics such as protecting digital assets from cyber attacks, conducting risk assessment, building a culture of resilience and promoting diversity and inclusion as part of a resilience strategy. Get ready for some straight talk and great debates. Let's dive in. Welcome to Mind the Resilience podcast. Um we have Cedric today. Cedric, how are you? I'm very well and you? I'm excellent. Thank you Cedric uh, for, Thank you for joining me. Thank you so much for uh, joining my podcast. It's a pleasure having you here Cedric. Uh before we start our conversations, would you like to introduce yourself and also let my audience know anything interesting about you apart from your uh, professional work? So anything interesting I'm not sure there's much. Um <laughs> I was I was told once, you know, if you want to hear anything interesting about someone you need to look at what people we write about them after their life um <laughs> the, the 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 other the other um comment which is very much to resiliency yeah one day my, i was i was getting stressed at work and and um my grandmother looked at me and she said remember um mm. a lot of very important people are in cemeteries so don't 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 think you're too important um <laughs> just feet down um a joke apart so selik morigi um I like to say I speak multiple languages. Um one of the languages um French, the other one is uh, Italian English, but also business resilience, um security. I'm an accountant by training, um a failed accountant by training in mm. Switzerland, my executive MBA, so um I also speak military language because I've been in the military forces um for many years, okay. starting from uh, intelligence to um anti-terrorism to military justice and uh, I had the luxury and and um, privilege of also having been professor at university for the last uh, 10 years associate, associate professor at TEDEC mm-hmm. uh, and ultimately also currently um chief resilience officer for one of the, the the leading building company in the world sustainable building company in the world called Olsim mm-hmm. prior to Olsim um worked 10 years in a, in the biggest mining company in the world called Rio Tinto the yeah. biggest or the second biggest depending on how you look at the numbers um and before that um i was working in a bank uh, as head of physical security first and then cyber then global security function mm. um proud dad um married for almost 20 years uh, as you, as you can see i have a I have also a lot of hair on my head might be stressed <laughs> but definitely my resiliency in relation to keeping my hair yeah. hasn't been proven to be efficient. Oh well yeah absolutely even my hairs uh it's falling at a faster rate after the marriage so I completely agree. Mm. <laughs> mm. Well it's falling at a faster rate mine is not growing at all <laughs> The analogy of thinking that we are important um or that our that we are clever intelligence just as a boost on our ego yeah. and doesn't help to increase the resiliency of the organization we're working for um 
ultimately resilient people or resiliency people working in the resiliency world have to accept that we are goalkeepers um yeah. we're there to protect the company defend the people the environment the asset the reputation make sure that whenever something's going to hit us um the people which are making money can be up and and running those mm. those are the things that drives us if if we want to be famous if we want to be proud of what we've done in that case we should have played front field right the like the messi yeah. or ronaldo uh, <laughs> or any of that but that's not my style yeah. so i think humility uh, has sure. to be core and um it's not me that has to talk about the legacy i'm leaving it's about whether or not the company will mm. will recognize any legacy yeah. and, and the last example i'd like to give you is this one you know do you know the difference between fame and flame and yeah. there's only one difference mm-hmm. you know you, you go up in fame yeah and you go down in flame <laughs> and the um the difference between those two words is only one letter which is yes. l yes. and the l stand for loser right it's very easy to go up in fame but it's very easy to to fall very very low okay and um, security people are like as i said goalkeeper we can save 25 goals we can teach the the frontliner to score one goal mm-hmm. but if we miss one goal mm-hmm. either by stupidity or by lack of concentration or or because our defense didn't play well yeah guess what they usually blame us not them yes. <laughs> so we need to accept that so that's why there's not much interest uh, in what i've done it's more about the legacy that we're going to leave to the company okay what an introduction cedric that was one hell of an introduction so let's get into the topic now right can we stop there because i'm usually good at introducing and then i stop there. <laughs> no i want to hear more my audience want okay. to hear more about the resiliency okay. rather than the introduction so let's dive in okay so um my first discussion with you cedric is on building resilience in an organizations right so according to you how do you define uh, an organizational resilience and why it is so important uh, to have the uh, organizational resilience in place and what are the key components and and how can leaders create a culture of resilience within their organizations and if you can please also touch upon any potential risks and uh, strategies to mitigate them and um and and how we can also measure is there a way to measure the effectiveness of a resilience strategy from your perspective cedric Do you have any other point you want to add because just with what you said it's about 2 hours of talk right <laughs> let's have it with 2 um, minutes or 3 minutes <laughs> i think uh first of all i i don't believe that an organization is resilient mm-hmm. as much as i don't believe that organization have values i believe that humans that are ultimately the component that that is part that is making those organization have resilience and have values mm-hmm. um there's multiple type of resiliency right you have the resiliency financial resiliency um the resource resiliency the yeah. logistical resiliency etc ultimately uh, the definition of resiliency i like is the capacity to absorb shocks mm. and for me an organization which is resilient is an organization that has their own staff that can mm. absorb shock before mm. the shock becomes too big that actually make the entire organization collapse good one um, we have enough example of um, little shocks wave in some little places you know the butterfly effect that yeah. has been poorly managed and became a massive issue and i think the deep water horizon from bp is one of them like yes. one simple close very small 
um, a robber yeah. ban, if I'm not mistaken, that led to massive consequence, not only for BP, but for the entire environment, for their own Absolutely. employees, because some people died of it and the ecosystem has been destroyed. But look where BP is back, right? It's back to even stronger than before. Mm. So the building organization resiliency for me is all about, and you asked about the key component, is all about employee resiliency. So what we've done, um, another example, when it was, I can't remember the year when there's the Bataclan attack in France, I think it was 2013, 14, something like this. Yeah. Um, we did uh, we did a webinar just after the um, the attack and we, uh, we called it, how do you protect the company against terrorism attack? And I think we must have had, I don't know, had 40,000 staff of which 2,000 in France, we must have had seven people attending, 10 mm -hmm. So obviously, no one was really interested um, in into what we were saying. But then we thought, hmm, that's an interesting topic. I mean, that's a key topic also for us. How can we make it more appealing? Hmm. So we changed the topic and we've called it, how do you protect yourself and, the, and your family against terrorism hmm. attack? Hmm. And all of a sudden, we had five, six, seven thousand people attending the webinar. <laughs> and um, when we did COVID in Olsim, we did the same thing. We put hmm. the people at the heart of the COVID response. Mm. Uh, I was leading uh, one of the, the three streams at company level. One of them mm. was called health. Yeah. And um, this, the webinar we've been doing day in, day out was how do you keep yourself and your family free from COVID? Mm. And that logic of how do you keep yourself and your family free or protected from COVID? And if you think carefully, if all of us are protecting ourselves well, automatically we're protecting our environment. True. Protecting your environment, you're protecting your colleague. Protecting your colleague means they're protecting their colleague and their colleague. And all of a sudden, we create some kind of safe haven hmm. um, around sanctuaries of protection hmm. around around the company. So yeah. for me, the key component to your question and yes. is is having employees hmm. resilient. Absolutely. What are the leadership style in resiliency is about empowering your people to take the right decision at the right moment. Hmm. There's nothing worse than a car or a truck on an highway that doesn't have brake or the driver falling asleep because that one is a mass weapon of mass destruction. Sure. And all the people around them are just victim of those mass destruction. Hmm. So we need to teach the driver and the people on the highway hmm. to avoid that to happen. I can I can write as many governance as I want to make them sure. resilient. Hmm. But ultimately if that weak element of the supply chain is the one's going to break, my, my, my governance is absolutely useless. Yeah. Um, how do we measure resiliency? We, yeah. We've created in OSIM uh, something quite simple. We uh, look at four main elements. The first one is about uh, the people. So hmm. do we have the right team in place in every single country? Right? We, are we are a company of 60,000 countries, uh, 60,000 people hmm. operating in 59 countries at the moment. Um, so do we have the right team in place at country level? Secondly, do we have the right plan in place? Mm. Thirdly, do we have the right exercise? And if we have the right exercise, have we exercised them? Mm. And fourthly, live, have we learned from the live incident? And mm. from, a, from a, um, a team point of view, mm. um, it's very clear that no one will be completely completely trained on everything. But what I do look for hmm. on measuring the efficiency is whether or not yes. they know how to work together, whether or not they know how to reach out to each other, whether or not 
in case of a, an emergency on the highway, they know which phone number to call. Mm. What do they need to do with their car? That's how we talk about team, training of the team, skills. We have a BRT certification at company level that can be, mm-hmm. uh, that can be dispatched to all uh, employees. Actually, yeah. uh, from this year, every single employee will be asked to do the fundamental uh, BRT training. Mm. When it comes to plan, plan as a famous philosopher that you might have heard about called Mike Tyson. Have you ever yeah. heard about him? Of course. Massive yes. philosopher, right? He's a, he's a yeah. great philosopher. And he made a, a very nice, um, he said a, a quote, he made a quote once, which was, everyone has a plan until they get punched in the face. Right? Yes. And what I've learned from this, and, and I'm a perfect example of that sentence, not because I've been punched, but because when so many times when we had a crisis, we couldn't find either the crisis manual. Exactly. Um, even for COVID, we had, I think, the best uh, pandemic um, governance okay. and, and plan that we could have ever had. I, I, I was given the, you know, we wrote it with another company. It was perfect. Yeah. They they won in the job in responding to COVID, which was very early for us. We responded uh, beginning of 2020. Um, yeah. I realized the plan was useless, so I, I basically shredded. So and we came out with one page, uh, which mm. is what we call now the plan on the page. Okay. Um, and the other two elements, which are the live and the um, the exercise, there's no good exercise if there's no lesson learned. Mm. So we must have a, a good lesson learned post-exercise report. If there's no post-exercise report, for me, the exercise was not done properly. Yeah. And the fourth one and the last one, which is life. Uh, if we do not learn from the mistake when we respond to an incident, for us, that's not considered. So ultimately, yeah. as a summary to your question, um, good organization Resiliency is built from the bottom, from the employee to the top. And uh, the only way to have good resiliency is to measure um, the readiness of the team, the the efficiency of the plan, and the learnings either from live or uh, from incident. Sure. You know what, Cedric, you you answered, I think, for the entire podcast. I think (laughs) many answers. Actually, we have a lot of follow-up questions on the similar lines, but you have touched upon a lot of important things that I wanted to discuss with you, which has set the context for us to move forward, okay? So on the follow-up to our questions, uh, which you have talked about, Cedric, more with respect to the cyber attacks and the digital threats. How can businesses ensure their digital assets are protected and recoverable in the event of a breach or an attack? And what are all the best practices for protecting these digital assets? And um, do you know like how we can have a comprehensive cybersecurity plan, right? So resiliency is now more focused on cybersecurity and cyber attack. How can business actually prepare for a cyber attack? And from your experiences, are there any strategies uh, that you have uh, worked on in recovering from a cyber attack? And uh, how do you stay up to date with respect to cyber threats and attacks, uh, Cedric? So you, there's multiple points in your question. I, I will quote again um, the famous philosopher Mike Tyson. Uh, yeah. There's not one plan that works, sure. right? Okay. I think we need to look at it from a um, different standpoint. Let, let me, um, as you might have realized, I like um, example. Sure. Um, I do have, uh, I did add a grandmother uh, which was mm-hmm. what we call the dilemma uh, of the grandmother. My grandmother was, I believe, the best grandmother on the planet. Mm-hmm. Um, but my dad would slightly disagree with me because he was seeing her from a mother-in-law point of view. Mm-hmm. Right? The same person, for me as a grandma, was also a mother-in-law. 
So yeah. she, he might, my dad might state, make statement that she was actually one of the worst mother-in-law he could have had. <laughs> um, I can't agree or disagree with him because she was my grandmother. She wasn't sure. my mother-in-law. The point I'm making here is I think one of the mistakes or one of the confusion we make when we talk about cyber attack is it depends from which point of view you look at it. Mm-hmm. Because if you look at it from an IT engineering point of view versus a business operator point of view, the business operator doesn't care how mm. that thing's got attacked. He doesn't care yes. how that thing has been built. He doesn't care who built it. He just wants an app or a solution that works. And if it doesn't work, he or she wants a solution that can help him to go back on, on, the, on E slash Earth feed very quickly, yes. either physical or digital. You know, ideally, he would like to have never an issue with his, his, um, his uh, solutions. Mm-hmm. But practically, he knows or she knows that it will happen at some point. So as long as he has a good recovery plan or continuity plan, he slash she is happy. Mm-hmm. If you look at it from an IT standpoint, and, and usually IT people, and that's nothing to do with Olsim, right? I'm, I'm talking here because I've, I've worked yeah, in the yeah. banking industry in the IT field for 10 years. Um, from an IT point of view, it's mm-hmm. just unacceptable that we get attacked. Um, and then if we are attacked, it's unacceptable. We can't defend ourselves. And if we defend ourselves, is how do we defend ourselves and how we disagree of the defense? Are we going to observe the defense first and then cut it off because we want to understand how far mm-hmm. they can go into the infrastructure or we want to cut it off uh, at the end, uh, sorry, mm-hmm. at the beginning of the process to avoid any damages? But very often people in the IT world forget about the ITDR. ITDR for them is how do you bring back the, the system back up and running? Yes, of course. But how do you, not how do you continue to cash in while the system is down? Yes. Right, so just to give you an idea, I've just been under Virgin, uh, which is my supplier. I got no issue to to mention them because they've been absolutely useless. Um, <laughs> I, I remain a month mm-hmm. with our, uh, IT, so okay. Wi-Fi at home a month. So okay. I, I got my resiliency plan. I got my token. I got my 5G at home, etc. But one month. Um, when I was talking to the IT guy, the only preoccupation was whether or not my toolkit was good, whether or not my my Wi-Fi setup settings were right, et cetera, et cetera. When I talked to the commercial team, the only, the only fear was that I could leave as a client and they were trying of to course. make me proposal to remain longer. Yeah. But not once, not once were they talking about, oh, okay, so you, you, have, you don't have Wi-Fi. That can lead to you potentially having work-related issue because you mm-hmm. can't work. No one thought about the end of the journey, which is I just needed to attend call. I don't yeah. care all the explanation they gave me on why it wasn't working, who poor guy couldn't handle it, et cetera, et cetera. So I escalated it to the CEO of Virgin. Mm-hmm. And the CEO of Virgin, the only thing he was capable of doing was to apologize, him and his staff. We apologize, we're doing, you know, a very British way. And I live in Great Britain, so I can, I can mm-hmm. I'm also <laughs> British. Or we apologize, we're doing everything we can to solve the problem. Well, that's not good enough, obviously. Yeah. Right? But we apologize. We're doing everything we can. Stay with us. Trusted customer. We care about you. That, that's rubbish. Ultimately, is rubbish. Because as an end customer, the only thing I want is to get a backup plan. Of course. So I moved. I moved to BT. And BT, I think, got it right. Because what they've done, if they partner with EE, which is mm-hmm. another company, which is yes. providing um, in the UK mobile phone solution. Yes. So their plan is very simple. Your broadband collapse. You pay five pounds a month extra. We give you a token, hmm. which is connected to 5G. Yeah. You can't guarantee the same speed, but we guarantee internet 24-7. Mm. Right? That's Simple. it. Simple. <laughs> now, the other guy from Virgin, I still, and by the way, Virgin is, I think, have their own Virgin Mobile. So they could do that. 
but they haven't thought the entire process. So from an application IT point of view, I think we need to be very, very careful hmm. from what angle we're looking at. it. Yeah. The resiliency and the cyber defense mm-hmm. have to be aligned, A, to the criticality of the solution that we have. Mm. If you're a bank, if mm. you're Amazon, or if like you, you have your podcast, I presume mm. that for you, having access to internet is much more important sure. than from people, for example, serving food in a coffee, yeah. which they lose less internet. I was having a coffee to my coffee shop this morning. The guy sees his phone this morning, the morning before he goes to the, to the office and in the evening when he has to do his order. During the day, he doesn't need internet. Mm. Actually, if there's less internet, people are coming in more often mm. because they got less to do. Right? Yeah. So the perspective is different. Then, mm. then finally, the BIA, the business impact analysis or business impact assessment is absolutely key. Mm. Asking yourself the question, mm. not only how long can I stay without internet or without app or without solution is one thing. Yeah. But asking yourself what damages would I have for every minute, mm. every hour, every day mm. that I would be offline? Yeah. What does that mean for my business? And if mm. at what point, what, what kind of critical point, inflection point, do I yes. need to step in and activate some continuity plan? Yeah. Uh, very valid points, Eric, because at the end of the day, right, if you think from a business point of view, it doesn't matter is, is a cyber attack or is the systems are down. For them, it's the loss of service. Like you said, uh, you don't care. Like the, you need the internet to work. That's it, right? I need a plan to to keep working myself. I don't. I don't need your apologies or anything else on what's happening at the background. All I need is a solution for me to bring it up, and that's where it's important to have the proper BIAs are conducted, the risk yeah. assessments are conducted, and have those contingency plans for many scenarios that can, you know, uh, that can span out. Uh, it can be a cyber attack. It can be anything else. All you need is a plan to respond to it. Very well done. Tactical solutions that you have given, Cedric. I'll give you. I'll give you another example, right? Um, mm-hmm. When, when the when COVID started, mm. and we were, I think, one of the first, if not the first, company in the world uh, to respond. We started the response on the third of um, January, okay, two thousand and twenty. Um, mainly because my head of security, my head of resilience, happened to be a virologist by training. Mm-hmm. And he read a, an interesting article about a Wuhan flu. Yes. And that China was currently thinking about closing this market. And for him, he had enough indicator to say, that doesn't mm-hmm. sound good. We mm-hmm. need to activate our, um, in, initially it was the pen, uh, epidemic plan, not the pandemic plan, because no one mm-hmm. would have thought it would become of so big. Um, but in fairness to him, we activated many plans before, mm-hmm. and many times that thing didn't manifest. But nevertheless, uh, we take them as, you know, we talked about maturity before. Yeah. We took those activation as an exercise to see whether or not we would be ready mm-hmm. to respond. But um, the, the point I wanted to make here is, is, is very simple. When, when you talk about, when you talk about um, cyber attack or when you talk about attack, when, when, we, when we talk to the IT team that specific week of activation, they all told me, yes, we, the ITDR is ready. Yeah. Absolutely ready. And I was... Okay, but what's your assumption? And the assumption was actually that the IT system will be down and they could replicate mm. the IT system. And I replied to them, I said, guys, this is not the assumption. The assumption is IT system will most likely be up and running. Yeah. You won't have the staff to work. 
50% of the staff, if you look at the prediction in January, uh, sorry, in March, the prediction was very clear. They were expecting at a time potentially 50 to 60% of the population being taken down for one to two weeks, two weeks yes. because of the virus. That yes. was a working assumption. So I, IT were all about, yeah, absolutely. Um, it works. We are ready. And I said, yes. okay, so show me the plan and tell me whether or not you will be able to operate with 50% of your staff, staff yeah. being potentially sick. Sure. The answer was no, we're not, because that was not the planning assumption. Now, the good news is because they had a good ITDR, yeah. it took us a couple of days just to amend into the logic of, now we're not talking about denial of service from a service point of view, or should I say we could have talked denial of service because of absenteeism, but not because yeah. of AT failure. Mm. And guess what? All of a sudden, that's not an IT issue anymore. Yeah. That's an HR issue. Correct. Right? right. So this is an example of why I'm not no. going to answer more in detail that cyber versus, because I think it depends from which side of the grandmother you're looking at it. Oh, absolutely. No problem. You're right. Day in and day out, we test our ITDR plans and we test, test, test. But what we miss is the people part of it. Are they going to be available or not during your activation? How many staffs are going to be there? Are they trained enough? Uh, you know, at, at a different scale, like it's the same guy coming for the DR and who's going to be available during your actual activation. It might be someone else. We never think about that, Cedric. Like, so we just we just go ahead and then, you know, we test it. The, the technology works. It will work if you do it now. If you want to move it to the DR side, it will work. But the people is the one that will create a problem. And I have seen it in the past n number of times, Cedric. It's about the people resiliency. It's technology will work, right? The people is what will fail and we have to be prepared for that. Yeah. Okay, let's move on to the topics. Uh, next topic that we have, uh, uh, Cedric. I want to touch upon the risk assessments, right? So what are the best and the worst practices for conducting a risk assessment in developing a contingency plan? And how can organizations weather an unexpected disruptions and maintain a continuity a continuity of operations by having a good risk assessments in place. Can you give some thoughts on that? So the good and the worst. Um, I went to visit a site uh, in our remote operation in um, in one country, in Asian mm -hmm. country. And the risk assessment was very long. Mm. Um, it was about 20 pages. Mm. And then one of the top risks was um, terrorist attack. Okay. Um, and when I look at the planning, um, there was a checklist of about 80, 85 to do in case of terrorist attack. Yeah. And I said, guys, how many weeks slash months have you worked on it, right? And, and hmm. they must have worked months on that document, hmm. including the mitigation measures. Okay. And I just, I just said, so... Point number one, go to gate 32 something, lock the gate. Point number two, go to gate 33 and lock the gate. Point And I said, guys, you got it completely wrong. I'm not mm. from your country. Uh, by the way, that was run by an expat. And that's typical when an expat believe he can reinvent or she can reinvent um, yeah. academic mindset with some corporate or some scholar um, ridiculous <laughs> template. I said, guys... If the terrorists are coming towards the site, which my understanding of the country tells me this is the very unlikely, but the worst case scenario, yeah. the only one thing you need to do is run for your life. 
I don't care about the assets. <laughs> I don't care about the control shutdown. I don't care about any of that. You run for I your life. Run for your life. And one of them told me, oh, yeah, but we've put some um, fingerprint. Uh, mm-hmm. We have safe heaven and we've put some fingerprints um, that terrorists can't bypass. I said, yeah, but did you put some bulletproof um, window to yeah. get access to the door? Yeah. Why should we? I said, well, because usually terrorists don't come with chopsticks. They'll come <laughs> with something a bit more heavy. So they'll go through the window without using the button. So honestly. So I think there's nothing worse from a risk assessment point of view when the risk mm-hmm. assessment is absolutely disconnected from reality. Yeah. When it's done by people that have no knowledge, tactical mm-hmm. knowledge of the ground. Uh, and when it's biased. Because if I may, what, um, are you of any faith? well yes a bit but but which it's in hindi hindu um bangladeshi christian protestant which one is it um, what i mean by this is mm-hmm. but what i mean by this is you can assess your race based on your face i can assess my race based on my face sure um i can assess my race based on, based on my height which might not be the same risk based on your height sure. i can assess the risk based on my cultural origin You can assess your risk based on yours, but ultimately it's different assessment for the same up, from, from the same outcome yeah. or for the same interest, which is understanding the risk. And as soon as it buys by emotion, the risk mm. assessment get completely flirted. Mm. And you can you can assess, there's nothing, uh, there's, so I live in London, I don't, which city are mm. you at the moment? I'm in Bangalore, in India. Okay, so you're in Bangalore, right? Can you please give me the risk assessment of flooding in the UK at the moment? I can't. The honest answer is no, I can't. <laughs> give me some time, might be able to find people to do it, right? Yes. But there's many people saying, yeah, I can give you a risk assessment now. And they're just going to make it up. Yeah. And that's dangerous. Second thing is a risk assessment can be a very long process and people can get disconnected. So the first risk that you assess will be done thoroughly. And the last one usually is a rush up because you just have to close the Excel sheet. The Excel mm-hmm. sheet. All the database you're using. So you will yeah. see a very good... Um, documentation and, and clarity of thinking in the first one, but very poor in the last one. Mm. So that's that's the issue of the risk assessment I see. Okay. Um, rela- relationship with resiliency is very simple. Mm. I, I think we are one of the few companies in the world, luckily, that that, uh, that has uh, what they call a chief resilience officer, which is a title that my CEO gave me. It's not a title I decided. Mm. And so there's not many companies that are starting to have um, chief um, mm. resilience officer. Um, with with the level of, of chief, which is quite uh, quite extraordinary, the amount of of exposure that we have with that title. Yeah. But what we've achieved uh, in doing this is not having resiliency um, supporting crisis, but is having resiliency measuring mm. the maturity of the ERM, mm. because the enterprise risk management very often in corporation stops at yeah. enterprise risk assessment. Sure. The management itself is the active management of the mitigation that moves you from inherent risk to residual risk. Yeah. So the risk primary to the resilient to the, 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 the residual. But in order to measure efficiency effic- efficacy or with efficiency the, the residual risk, you need to understand the maturity of the people. And we go back to the question initial. We need to understand the the organization resiliency sure. to absorb the shock that will be mm. generated by that specific risk. Mm. So my team is now in charge of measuring the resiliency 
okay. i.e. the maturity of the, of, the, of the countries and our people to respond mm. to risks that have been identified into the ERM. Okay. And that's, for me, it's, it's the ultimate risk assessment. Uh, connection between risk assessment and risk management is whether yeah. or not are we ready to respond. Mm. Obviously, for COVID, as, as a world, we were definitely not ready to respond. Sure. Did we have to be respond? I don't know. I think the last question I will touch on in relation to ERM is yeah. I think there's a much there's two biggest threats than COVID. One is climate change mm. and the second one is humankind. Mm. Humans are the worst and the more powerful virus that the <laughs> earth has had. And I'm I'm using the word virus as 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 a pure definition of virus. That's something that can change the ecosystem in which it operates, right? Because for me as a baby to me as an adult, if you take uh, Putin or Biden or, or President Xi or President Macron, from them being child to them becoming president, I'm sure that you can agree that their capacity of influencing the ecosystem has grown massively. Therefore, mm. the capacity as a virus to influence or a bacteria to influence whatever is around them has influenced massively. And... I think that those two elements of growth in power are two mm. elements from a resiliency point of view that we always need to look at. Because if you want to connect the risk of natural catastrophe or climate change mm. risk mm. with the risk of the corporation, you must also connect that with the risk of uh, humankind. Mm. Uh, because I can do as many predictions as I want if two mm. girls decided to press you know, the, the nuclear button of course, just for any reason, yeah. all my analyses are, are completely flirt. However, yeah. I need to be careful not over anal- analyzing everything because yeah. someone then can ask me, what about analyzing the risk of a meteor e- eating the earth or, ex- <laughs> or alien landing on the planet? And that's yeah. where likelihood and consequence need to, to come to light, right? Mm. There's no, at some point, we need to stop the over analysis because it's, it's not helping the business. Sure, 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 sure. What a points, what a points that you have, uh, Cedric. Ah, okay, let's move on in the interest of the time, Cedric. My next question to you is on the culture of resilience, right? So what is culture of resilience according to you? Uh, and why is it so important to build a culture of resilience within the organizations? And and how can leaders like us to can promote the culture of resilience within the organizations? Please, if you can touch upon these points to my audience, Cedric. So first of all, and this is not a criticism towards you, right? I would never call myself a leader. It's down to the same logic as the legacy. I think I will let people decide whether or not they will see me as their leader. Okay. Because again, leadership is very is a very personal Agreed. Um, um, definition. And I'm sure that you will follow different type of leader than me. Um, I think the right question is, oh, the right question. I think the question is how does manager... Uh, as as managing, how can we influence? Yeah, no, uh, what I'm trying to say, Cedric, is that how can can we lead our our our, our people in our organizations to have better prepared, right? So not that you know we are the leaders. How can we lead? No, I understand. It's yeah. it's just it's just a point for academic yeah, sure, purposes sure. No because problem. my answer is is about this. It's not about leading. Yeah, it's about guiding. Mm. I think we need to influence them. I'd rather be seen as an influencer, not a TikTok influencer. I always mean <laughs> with my head and mm. my, my, you know, as much as I would love to say I, was, I, I look like 
the future James Bond. I think most of the audience would completely disagree with that, right? Yeah, yeah. I don't look like James Bond. I don't. I don't sound like James <laughs> Bond. But as as much as I would love to, no, Joker. But I think we not we are we must influence. Mm. We must advocate. We must guide the organization towards good resiliency. Yeah. And the only way to do that is to create a, a pool mm. of individual at every level which see resiliency as a key element of success. Mm. Um, if they are resilient, they can mm. make more money. Mm. If they are resilient, they can avoid a bad deal. If they are resilient, they can become star. Each of us yeah. have something that drives us, right? You definitely is doing podcast. I'm sure yes. your neighbor next door is not about podcast. <laughs> now, if I sell resiliency to you in order to protect your podcast, but the guy next door is the one planting salad, salad or, or, or building up, I don't know, robot or creating ice cream or whatever, it would not be interested in the same resiliency. So I think the importance for us as, as enabler of resiliency is understanding the, so the company need, mm. what the company needs in order to be successful. And then mm. to adapt that need into how can we communicate efficiently that mm. need and translate it into almost creating a desire for themselves to become more resilient. Mm. And when they decide to become more resilient, the entire organization will change. There's so much change in the organization that I, 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 can't, I can't look at it from top to bottom. I have mm. to look at it from bottom. Because every time I create um, a flower full of resiliency and the pollen goes in another land, yeah. that resiliency follows them. That's the logic sure. I'm, I'm applying. Great. Great points. Thanks, Cedric. Um, on similar lines, I want to touch upon the topic of diversity, right? Mm. What is the relationship between diversity, inclusion, and resilience according to you, Cedric? And how can organizations promote diversity and, inclu and, and inclusion as part of their resiliency strategies? What do you think about it? It's a, it's a phenomenal discussion. Um, <laughs> so... What I would criticize, mainly us uh, white people, is we talk a lot about diversity. Sure. But usually the biggest diversity we have around the room is body mass index, right? <laughs> um, and maybe quantity of air and origin of the European country. Yeah. Uh, if we would be true to diversity, as much as we, we would like to be true to it, mm. we would embrace diversity of thought. Yeah. I think diversity of gender, diversity of of origin is, is all, I'm, I would not say it's irrelevant, it's absolutely relevant. Mm. But I think it's relevant in the diversity of thought that those people will bring. Mm. I think we need to be very, very careful in combining diversity uh, or equality in order mm. to protect the weakened mm. by us. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to shoot at myself as a white guy. I think white people have have been extremely bad in promoting diversity in the last 200 years because colonization was all about, this is my God, this is my color of skin, and by the way, you have to look like me and think like me and act sure. like me, otherwise you're no one. But this is, this is the diversity people are talking about. is mm. about protecting a part of the society that is currently under control by the strongest, yeah. um, strongest physically, versus the diversity of thought Mm. which is bringing around the table the right talent in order to solve the right problem. Mm. Um, it will be somehow utterly wrong to bring seven doctors, yeah. all male, um, 
or seven police officer, all male, white, to talk about um, non-white women being raped in the park. Mm. That that's just wrong as a concept. Sure. Uh, you don't need seven police officer women uh, of of non-white color. I'm using that one specific because it was a case in the UK. You mm. need seven people who think out of the box. Mm. You need seven people that are diverse of thought, diverse of background, diverse of cultural origin, diverse of mentality, diverse of everything. Mm. And I'm I'm afraid to say that color. It's not a proper diversity because I do know white people like me but are born in South Africa that don't think like me. Mm. Now, I'd rather have a diversity of thought than diversity of color of skin. Mm. Uh, you can have three people that are born on the same neighborhood in one place in the UK, for example, went mm. to the same school, but mm. because they are different in color, in uh, to origin, gender, mm. uh, religion, etc., they will think the same way or very similar, right? Mm. Uh, people will disagree with me, but Rishi Sunak and Boris Johnson are not fundamentally different when it comes to their view of doing politics in the UK. Sure. So proper diversity comes from, for me, diversity of thought. So how do we mm. apply that on crisis management? Yes. It's very simple. We just had, um, we just had a one-week workshop in Switzerland with the top 10 performing countries in relation to resiliency Okay. Uh, in response to COVID. We had people from, we obviously, male and female, I think we were half-half, and we are even doing on purpose, right? Yeah. Because there's, there's if you mm -hmm. take 60 countries and you look at the best, there's a very strong likelihood, having 50-50 in both countries, that you're going to sure. get 50-50 of gender diversity. Mm. But we had people from Romania, from Iraq, from the US, uh, from the UK, mm. from Cameroon, from Nigeria, uh, from Bangladesh, because mm. we just took were the best. Sure. And we took those 10 people around the room and we throw at them challenges, mm. specific challenges that the company, again, if you go back to your ERM, yeah. that the company is going to face from an ERM point of view. Mm. And I said, guys, this is the challenge. Give me the solution. Find mm. me the solutions. Not the uh, solution, the solutions. Yeah. And then each of them needs to apply it in their country. Yes, Cedric, I, I want to ask you, what was the outcome of those diverse people's uh, thinking? Were they different at different levels or were they giving the similar kind of answers to your uh, resiliency uh, emergency Completely management? Completely different at different exactly. levels. We had the one, the one that was coming from a country, I don't want to give the country because it might be seen as prejudicial, Hmm. But she she was a, she was an office manager, yeah. But because she's never been the been given the chance to become so mm. high in the in the line of command, but her sure. idea was brilliant. Sure. However, because she's never been exposed to exco thinking, mm. she was never been molded in the logic of yeah. giving strategic advice. But in the meantime, we had an exco member around the table who mm. was giving his exco mindset, executive committee mindset, into the same problem. And yeah. guess what? The combination of the both. Yes. Made that boof. We landed wow. right in the middle. That was mm. brilliant. Mm. The outcome, I'm, I'm looking forward for my guy to write the white paper about this yeah. because that paper, that learning paper will be brilliant. Be. We've, mm. we, for me, it was eyes opening yeah. to see those diversity, that's pure diversity of thought. Sure. Right? Mm. Independently of color, race, origin, etc. It was diversity of thought. Yeah. And I can tell you, it was, it was sometimes hard 
Mm. Um, Sometimes difficult. I've, I've interviewed a Bangladeshi uh, individual for the Bangladesh operation we have, mm. and he wanted to become head of security and resilience for the country. And he said, uh, I said, why do you want to join us? Mm. He said, because I want to learn from your resiliency. <laughs> and I looked at him and I said, no, 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 I apologize. I'm the one who has to learn from your resiliency. Because if there's one country which is resilient, by definition, is Bangladesh at the moment, because Absolutely. of what they're going through. Is definitely yeah. not Switzerland, yeah. right? Absolutely <laughs> not Switzerland. The resiliency no. in Switzerland is all about having police officers helping us and firemen yes. coming in, and yeah. that's not proper resiliency. No. So all that to say, diversity in resiliency and resiliency mm. in diversity is about having the right brain around the table to solve a problem. Yeah. You know what, Cedric? Unfortunately, we have run out of time. Uh, Fortunately had, for you and the audience, because otherwise we can continue for hours. <laughs> well, I would love to continue, and I had a lot of questions to uh, to talk to you and uh, you know have these conversations. Absolutely, you nailed it. It's kind of a straight talk. There is no BS here, like right? so. Um, I think I think my audience are going to get a different perspective. They have not heard a podcast in similar nature from a straight person like you who can give. Uh, talks uh you know uh, which is actually different perspective compared to the other business resiliency uh, people that i'm usually interviewing with so wonderful i gave you yes. my words right if the audience is interested and want to listen to some other non-bs stuff just <laughs> ask them to pose the question and the challenges and we'll take that as a as, yeah, as a I'm way of that. moving forward, right? Yeah, ask them yeah. if there's any specific question they want to ask and mm. more than welcome to to be challenged. I, I The last point I want to say, I know you have, we have to close, but my biggest learning was to become a professor at university. Mm. When I finished my university degree as an executive MBA, I was told the word, the best, the best, uh, the best thing they will ever wish me is to have students as difficult as me <laughs> As that was what as one of my teachers said. You know and what? Actually, I've learned my, so much from those difficult students. Sure, I can I can feel the heat in my chair here when I talk to you. I can understand how difficult it would have been for the professors to answer your questions. It was a pleasure having you, Cedric. Likewise, uh, thank I, you for having me. Before I end the show, I want to ask you, like, if someone wants to get in touch with you and take these conversations forward, what is the best medium to do it, and how can they get in touch with you? Well, they ask you to organize another podcast, so we, 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 <laughs> we record the question. You can even invite them to the podcast, so we have a bit of challenge, but otherwise it's LinkedIn. Okay. You can publish my LinkedIn account, it's there. So, Sure, 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 sure. Um, so I'm going to put your uh, LinkedIn profile in my show notes so that they can get in touch with you. And I'm sure we are going to have a follow-up uh, podcast as well, Cedric, to take our conversations further and have these different perspective and questions from a number of people around us. So thank you so much. Great talking to you. you have a wonderful day. See you then. See you then. Bye now. Bye-bye, everyone.